Hi, I'm your host, Michael Gilbo, here to let you know about a new and innovative theater major, the BA in Theater and Business Arts at the University of Providence. Get the education and experience you need as a theater artist and the business acumen to succeed in your career. Visit broadwaybullet.com and stay tuned to the end of the program for more info. Now, enjoy the show. With this episode, Broadway Bullet is proud to celebrate our first anniversary. I wouldn't want it to be too perfect every night. It is live after all. Working at Lincoln Center, it sounds very huge and elevated. And that's what it feels like, like once you're working there. Because rent is about much more than just friendship, love, and musical theater. It was about something that shook musical theater. People are becoming more and more comfortable. I mean, we do it all. I mean, you know, we don't we don't back away from anything. Welcome to Volume 124 of Broadway Bullet. I'm your host, Michael Gilbo, and we've got a lot of great stuff for you again this week. Don't we always? We've got interviews with the musical Slammer, with a song from that, as well as the musical Walmartopia, and a song from that. A uh, song and interview with uh, Song Cycle Cabaret Show slash musical Triumphant Baby. We've also got the plays Animals and Fair Game. And we got a book review of Let's Put On a Show, which a lot of people have been seeing ads for and whatnot. So we got a lot of great stuff here for you. Marty was a little under the weather, so we don't have on the positive side, but he will be back next week when we do start our nymph coverage. Ought to be exciting. So. Hang on, and let's jump into the program. On the boards. Well, we're not quite through with the Fringe. There are 188 shows or something, and we've got another one here with us. Slammer the Musical is uh, about what? Slam dancing? No, it's about women in jail, from what I understand. And we've got the author, Chan Chandler, and the lead actor, Tina uh, played by Courtney Wissinger here with us today. And how are you guys doing? Great. Thanks for having us, Mark. <laughs> so uh, tell us a little bit about Slammer. Well, Slammer is a new women in prison musical. and A new one versus yes, the old yes, one. Versus we, the old yes, one. Plenty of old ones. We need a new women in prison musical. <laughs> and it's a rock musical um, based on the exploitation genre of women in prison films, which go back through time. And in the 70s, Jonathan Demme's first movie was a women in prison movie, Caged Heat, which started a whole slew of drive-in movies and just crazy movies about women in prison. They take place in space, they take place in banana republics, they take place all over. <laughs> and where does this one take place? Well, in several different countries, because kind of the premise of this is the prisons get privatized and they start bringing in prisoners because they need workers because they're creating products um, to keep uh, the corporations going. And they keep moving the prison from country to country because to make it more cost efficient to, um, and, well, just just because they can. That's, that's, <laughs> these are corporations. It's outsourcing. So, are, now, are you a native New Yorker or are you here for the fringe? Because I'm hearing a little accent in your voice. I'm well, curious. both Courtney and I are from Texas, and we met in Austin, Texas, and worked together on a country and western musical there before we moved over into the rock genre. Mm-hmm. Um, and both theater rats that had moved to New York, both love musical theater, both love rock and roll, and that's how Slammer kind of came about. So you're both transplants who just knew each other from transplants. before? Tex-patriots. <laughs> Tex-patriots. <laughs> and just have to prove to the world that, you know, Texas isn't just one point of view, and especially Austin, Texas. Mm-hmm. 
Very specifically awesome. Yes. yes. <laughs> it, it's, it's a little purple oasis in a vast red sea. It's pretty yeah. great. Now, I understand, uh, as I was hearing you guys chatting before you got in here, it seems like you've already been using the internet and viral marketing quite heavily with uh, Slammer. Mm -hmm. uh, MySpace, um, mm -hmm. if you go to to slammerthemusical.com, there you'll go right to MySpace, and um, it's been great. It's been a way to get the word out, to get feedback from people, um, and yeah, it's, the viral thing has worked. It helped us find people to get to take part in the show. Mm -hmm. It's been a way to get the music out. We have music up from it, photos from the show up from it, women in prison clips of movies for those that don't know the genre. We want to introduce them to that. So, go MySpace. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, uh, Courtney, I understand you're going to sing a song for us here live in the studio to one of yeah. the tracks that's been recorded. Yes. Want to set this up a little bit? Um, yes, this is the first time we meet Tina. She is one of the inmates uh, at the prison. And um, the uh, the new, um, the ingenue Tabitha, if you will, um, has just come into the prison as a new inmate. And uh, this is Tina's attempt to kind of uh, tell her story. Uh, what's happened to her since she's become incarcerated. <laughs> <laughs> this is called Without Love? Yes. All right. Grown up in Port Arthur, Texas, there weren't a lot of choices for a girl like me. I could have been a dancer or ended up like Janice, but I left like a Bobby McGee. Took the rap for a no good man in Miami, and they stuck me in this hole for life. Wasted all that time on that. So what is your favorite part about uh, being in a women in prison musical there? <laughs> My Courtney. favorite part of being in a women in prison musical. Um, you know, we've had, it's so nice to be in a show that's a, 
about women and has a lot of women in it. Um, it's it's just it's really fantastic to work with. We have such an amazing cast, such an amazing cast, and uh, it's just so nice to kind of be able to. And it's such an ensemble piece. All of us really work together, and just hearing all those chick voices, you know, singing all that rock and roll is pretty fantastic. I tell you, as a writer, to be able to have 12 women up on stage and just write these smoking harmonies and have them just, you know, belted out. And we've got a band from Austin, Texas that have come up of all rockers. Um, and just these giant harmonies stacked on top of each other. We have rock, soul, um, gospel, mm. zydeco, every mix of music. Um, kind of the cool thing about musical theater is it takes all different styles and puts them together. And when you go to Austin, Texas, that's one of the things you find. You find musicians. They're not just one style. They can play all kinds of types. Mm -hmm. So it's been a really kind of cool fusion of those two. And hope it all kind of works out um, at the Fringe. And... How cool to get to do the show at the Fringe Festival, to, mm -hmm. to do a show that's a little bit off-center um, and kind of crazy, and then you have a venue like the Fringe. Um, it's Super great. Cool. And I'm lucky enough, I teach at NYU, and we're at the Skirball Center at NYU. So um, I don't know what my folks there will think about this, but we will see, see after the show. What do you teach at NYU? I teach theater. I, okay. I teach writing and producing there. <laughs> so uh, do, you, do you teach them how to do it? Quickly, like in the festival? Uh, yes, yeah, it, it, yes, they guerrilla theater, as it's known. Right. That, and we've been lucky enough, a lot of NYU students are taking part in the show, too, so that's, that helps out. Um, so they're coming back home to work, graduates of NYU. So. Now, I also understand that there's a bit of a history behind the show in, in, as you've been writing it and putting it together. Mm -hmm. Yes, we started um, working on it back in Austin while we were working on another musical and really wanted to write a role with some strong female parts in it. And, you know, my writing's heavily influenced by, by the girl group stuff, the, the 60s, the Brill Building stuff, the Shangri-Las, and just that kind of angry doo-wop that, um, that, that was just so great. And we started writing it and kind of put it aside for a while because we just had these great songs and kind of a story outline and didn't say a whole lot. And then over the last few years, um, my writing partner Steve Adams and I just started getting angrier and angrier about the state <laughs> of, of our country, where it was going, the... the just lack of humanity and the lack of family and we we knew we had to write something so we wanted to we pulled the show out and started looking at it again and said wow this this is actually about family and it's about how people get torn apart about prisons how women are put in prison um, having to take the rap for for their husbands using the, the way our government uses the RICO Act to tear people apart and then privatizing prisons and moving prisoners out of the country moving prisoners around the country it's just it's surreal. The stuff that we made up 11 years ago, you know, is happening now. And that's just, it's just insane. <laughs> so uh, what's the next, yeah, are you looking forward to anything with this beyond the fringe? Or I, I would imagine 12, I was teaching producing, you have to know, 12 people off in an off-Broadway cast and a full band. That's, it's a pretty big for a show even for the fringe. Well, yeah, and our hope is, I mean, there are a lot of folks that are putting a lot of work into this, so I'm, we're hoping that it has a life beyond that. Right now, we're really focused on getting the show up at the fringe. Um, but this year, there's going to be an election. This year. There's not going to be an election this year. And I got to think there's going to be a big letdown from that. And we want people to think. We want people to act. We also want people to have fun, too. So that's that's part of the part of it. But, um, yeah, it's just to, to, get, to get people into the theater, to have something to say, and to... To have an outlet for a bunch of bunch of angry folks that have a voice, and a bunch of hot chicks. <laughs> <laughs> now, Courtney, I understand that you haven't been doing the rock thing for a while, but that you're 
that you're missing it now? I am. Oh, just getting back in the studio. Um, like Chan said, we recorded several demos years and years ago, and then he called me back uh, about a year ago, and we just kind of got back in the studio. And I'd taken a little break, and I was back in musical theater and started really missing. Got back in the studio and was like, yeah. This is what I wanted to do. This is what's been missing. So, yeah, I've been missing it a lot. I, I, I long for a mic stand and some cowboy boots and a beer. <laughs> so, yeah, it's but it's but doing I love shows like this because, you know, you get to sing so many styles. I I'm a white girl from Texas. I have always wanted to sing a gospel song. And in this show, we have a fantastic, fantastic gospel number. Um, we get to sing with. Sandra Reeves, who is one of our... Yeah, Sandra Reeves coming back after being out of the theater for a while. Linnell Stevens, who is, we all went to the University of Texas with. Who's, mm-hmm. She was last on Broadway in my favorite year, and she's coming back to the theater. Um, and even people coming in from Los Angeles. My sister is the set designer, and she was a film set designer out there and came to New York um, with her husband, Severio Guerra, who's playing Smiley the Screw, the evil, sadistic, psychotic prison guard, because every woman in prison movie has to have the evil, sadistic... Um, terrorizing prison guard. And and here's Severio's coming back to the theater after being out doing Buffy the Vampire Slayer for several years in a show called Becker. And now he's back, coming back to the theater, so he's coming home to that. Linnell, after having a family, heard the show and said, how can I be a part of it? Mm-hmm. And Sandra Reeves Phillips was actually retiring and heard the music and said, how can I be a part of this? So it's just been amazing how everybody's come together mm-hmm. for this. And Just getting to back some of those people up has just been worth it enough. You know, so pretty. Yeah, we've pretty all gotten together up in Nyack. We took over yeah. a theater there, the River Space um, Arts Theater, and we're, we've been able to put the show together on stage, which is just amazing to get to do that. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. It's, we're looking forward to it next Monday night at Skirball. All right, so what are the dates? How do people catch the show? Well, we're, we're, we're part of the, the New York Fringe Festival, and we open next Monday, the 20th, at the Skirball Center down at NYU, and we run the tw- we have four performances. Monday the 20th, Thursday the 23rd, Friday the 24th, and Saturday the 25th. All right. Well, I wish you the best of luck, and congratulations on getting it all together. And Thanks for stopping down oh, and man. chatting with us here at Broadway thanks, Bullet. Thanks for thanks. having us. Come see thanks. the show. On the boards. It seems a crazy idea having a female presidential candidate. It could never happen, I know. Uh, but we've got a play off-Broadway that's opening called Fair Game that tackles the subject. And we have the star, Joy Franz, who also starred in, appeared in both productions of Into the Woods on Broadway, Pippin, and many others, a, a wonderful veteran of the theater. And we have Donna Harrell, who is the co-artistic director of GTG, yes. who is co-producing the show. How are you guys doing? Just great, great thank you. <laughs> what do you mean it never would happen? Oh, I... It's going to happen now, <laughs> in our lifetime. The next election, it thank is. you. <laughs> Excellent. That, that was the sarcasm there. Did, I did know it not it read on audio? <laughs> 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 so, first off, I guess right away, you know, tell us a little bit about the, the play Fair Game and what it entails for everybody. Well, uh, um... I think right off the bat, it's, it's a combination of many different things. But integrity, truth, and power, and what personal circumstances, how that can affect a political action and in situations. And also, Donna? Well, 
you know what's interesting about the play is that it tackles relationships, uh, mother mother son relationships, um, lovers, and at this all all throughout um, a, an election and and the power of spin and how you can spin those relationships to make them something that um, people are going to vote for, which is which is so interesting. I mean, there's a wonderful line in in the play that that talks about how, um, you know, when, when Jesus was killed, that the Christian said, what's the line? That the, the Christian said, um, oh, thank you so much for, for killing Jesus because now he can be reborn and be our Messiah. You know, the power of spin. spin. The, but you, there isn't any situation. Oh, never. <laughs> no, but the, what they're really saying is it doesn't matter whether it's a positive or a negative. You can spin it. If it's positive, you can spin it negative. Exactly. And vice versa. Bush has learned that. He has the most amazing political uh, spin team. He really does. He sure does. Um, And in this case, you know, we've got a female candidate, and there is really very little chance that she's going to win at the beginning of, of the play. And because of something that, an event that if you come see the show, you'll find out about, uh, because of something that happens, they spin that negative reaction by the public into something that gets her really close, that uh, makes her numbers go up in the polls and and could possibly make her the next president, all because of the power of spin, just how you spin a story. It's amazing. So, Joy, what attracted you to this role? It, it doesn't sound like there's much to chew on. Oh, not at all. <laughs> Who wouldn't want to be president? I would. I'd love to be able to have that uh, political intelligence to be able to talk about wars and situations and how can we uh, lower taxes, help the poor. I mean, I think basically my character is really integrity. That is her main thing, is truth and integrity. And then, but how she can get swayed to a negative side or maybe help her get to be president and how she decides what is the right situation for her, what for her th- truth. What went through your mind when um, Andrew Volkoff, the director of Fair Game, called you and asked you to audition for the piece? Oh, I was so excited. I went, woohoo! <laughs> of course I would love to play this role. I said, my gosh, I've got a role model right now, uh, Hillary Clinton, and there she is. I mean, oh my gosh, I can't believe how she's being scrutinized, you know, from her hairdo, the color of suits she wears, um, her high heels, uh, and I won't say what other things. But <laughs> <laughs> well, with with that happening right now, first off, was the play written before Hillary was actually officially a candidate? Yeah, yes, it, it was written in two thousand four, I believe. Yes. So now that she is a candidate, actually, has that has that changed the focus of the play at all? Does it feel more like? I think it's perfect timing. <laughs> does it mean? Does it make it feel more like you're maybe playing her or doing like no. loosely inspired by or? No, not at all. At first, I thought I wanted to have my hair like hers because I think she looks great. <laughs> uh, but Carl Gadjusek, he wrote it, and he wrote it about what four years ago, mm-hmm. and so it has really nothing to do with this. But it's really about relationships. And. Uh, it- 
it's definitely made it much it's definitely made it much more topical for us and of course lessen the amount of research that we've had to do to find a presidential candidate that we can use as a role model but he, Carl it, it's hard because you want to keep the storyline is so the plot is so interesting and the storyline is is incredibly dramatic and so you don't want to draw any parallels but it's almost impossible to i mean truly it's almost impossible to the only parallel the only uh, i mean we we haven't had something like this happen in the past so for us to be producing this play during an, the the time of an election during the time where um it it could possibly be a female presidential candidate is very exciting for us and it and there's very little there's you can't you can't stop yourself from drawing parallels between the two. No, that's true. I know when I first read it, I got anxious. It was making me anxious. I ignore I read. I went, oh, my God, what's going to happen next? And I couldn't wait to get to see what was going to happen. It's true. And that, that really was a very exciting role to play. And all the other characters, wonderful actors we have. Joy, would you call it a nail-biter? A nail biter. <laughs> Close. Yeah, it's very exciting. Yes. You really don't know what's going to happen until the very end, and just when you know what what you think is going to happen between the relationship between right. mother and son, and 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 the outcome of the election, it all switches onto itself. There's a um, a metaphor that runs throughout the idea of a spinning bottle, and how where the, wherever the it lands um, is totally by chance. And in this case, in politics, you try to take all chance out of the equation. And yet, Carl has stuck chance right back into the play, which is, which is brilliant. I mean, it really is. We read at, at Genesis Theater Group, GTG, we read, I'd say, about 85 plays. And this, this, the cream went right up to the, to, the, to the top of the bottle. It was amazing how exciting this was. And we all, we all read it, and we all sat around together, and we said, we have to do this. Now, I understand that GTG, a lot of your mission is to give full mountings to playwrights who, you know, may have a lot of recognition but haven't had a full mounting yet in New York. Yes. Well, you meet so many writers, especially writers coming out of uh, fantastic programs like the NYU program or Juilliard, and they come out and they come out with um, a resume filled with readings and workshops. And you think to yourself, okay, great. Well, where's the physical production and there isn't any. I know writers that, go, that, that get commissions and they never get a production of their play. And so when we decided that we were going to make our mission to actually produce the, the work of writers that deserve, that deserve productions. It's, I think, um, a worth, worthwhile mission. And I think that it's time for uh, people to take a chance on new writers. I mean, you know. Yes, it is time to take a chance on a woman to be president. <laughs> and Joy, as that goes, now working with a new writer versus, you know, a couple of your legendary roles. I mean, you've done Into the Woods with Stephen Sondheim and Pippin so with, with Stephen Schwartz. And so what, what's the difference working with somebody who's got, like, kind of a lot of, a playwright who's got, well, a lot of baggage in a lot of good way. You know, I mean, they've got a lot of, you know... What's the word I'm looking for? <laughs> they've got a lot of history, and they've got a lot of notoriety, and they've got a lot of reputation, versus coming and working with somebody who is newer. What, what are the differences, do you feel, maybe creatively as an actress? Well, I don't know if it's a huge difference, because both situations are extremely exciting. And Carl is, hasn't been here 
specifically, he's coming on Friday. So it's a little different, not really getting to work with him. He is doing some rewrites and things like that, so we have some changes for tonight and tomorrow. You know, you have to do a lot of really be on your toes. <laughs> not that you aren't anyway, anytime. Um, I just don't know if there's... It's exciting to be with somebody who's just on the, the threshold and going on up that you know ladder with them. And it's great to be with somebody that's already established and uh, who has confidence and believes in me. Well, I, I definitely have to ask this for some of our listeners out there who are maybe looking into getting into theater. With your long and successful career in the business, something that it's very hard, it's hard to get a break at all in the first place, let alone maintain a career for as long as you've done. What would be your biggest piece of advice? And by the way, you look fabulous. I've watched the Into the Woods video like 30 times. And, You're very uh, It's lovely. clear that Thank they made you. you up to be a lot older. Oh, because... that's so lovely of you. <laughs> but it, but the, even Into the Woods was 87? 87 we did so it. That's you've had right. A, you've been going at least 20 years. Just uh, Well, a few more than yeah. that. Yes, so, that's true. So, <laughs> So I'm, what, and what I'm proud advice? of it. Okay, yes. so 30 uh, you years. You should be. It's a, it's a success. Like I said, that's, that's hard to do in this business. So well, what would your advice be uh, to some aspiring actors out there? I said, keep talking your dreams alive. If you, perseverance. And no matter who says something to you, if it's a, a negative or a positive, just keep on your train and just keep walking in your light and keep that belief and sometimes it isn't easy i know but i just always go back i think it was back in fifth grade i said that's what i'm going to do and nothing's going to deter that yeah definitely it's a you gotta keep that belief 98 percent of success they say is perseverance hmm. so it's just you know keeping your goals what is it you want and maybe I didn't make mine high enough, and now they're much bigger now. I've got bigger dreams and bigger goals to fulfill. So it doesn't matter how old you are, whether you're starting at 20, whether you're going to start at 50, you come into the business, it doesn't matter. If you really believe and have that uh, dedication and passion, uh, there's no reason why you can't fulfill your dream. All right. Well, where can people see you fulfill your dream of uh, being a presidential nominee? All right. At the Lion Theater. And that is the exact address. Well, it's on Theater Row, and it's at the Lion Theater. And we start previews Friday the 17th. We open the 20th, and we run through September the 7th. And it's an 88-seat house, so the seats are selling. So do call. Get your Is tickets there a now. Yes, you can call 212-279-4200 or visit theaterrow.org or ticketcentral.com or you can visit the GTG website at www.gtgnyc.org and it's at the Theater Row Lion Theater, 410 West 42nd Street. And the tickets are really reasonable, so the tickets are selling quickly. Call now. <laughs> And I also wanted to say that directors, it starts at the top, not just with the writers, but the directors also. And we've got a wonderful director, Andrew Volkoff. 
And so I'm just thrilled to be working with him. Yeah, and we've got an amazing uh, group of actors that span all generations. I mean, we have somebody who is just starting out, and we have two wonderful veterans. We've got Chris Henry Coffey. Joy is, of course, fantastic. Carolyn Kozlowski, Ray McDavid, and uh, Sarah Doe Osborne. And the loveliest and most talented group of designers. It really is. It has been just the most lovely experience and everybody's working at their at the the top of their field that's right thank you very much donna harrell and joy franz for thank joining you. us so much. and i hope everybody gets a chance to catch fair game okay thank you the call board once again remember if you or you have a friend who's looking to do some recording here in new york city got a studio right here in times square reasonable rates we don't just do musical theater we do all styles pop R&B and rock as well. Uh, if you're looking for how to get things done, give me a buzz at 646-345-3433 so we can talk about your needs. Also, if you're looking to buy, sell, or rent an apartment in New York City, uh, give my partner, Dave, a buzz. He's the business partner with Broadway Bullet. He'll treat you right. You know, a lot of real estate agents are uh, a little... little not quite on the level, but tell him you heard about it from Broadway Bullet and give him a buzz at 646-920-3402 and he will treat you like first class all the way. Also, I promised I would announce the winner of the Gold Pass to the New York Musical Theater Festival this week and we had a lot of entries, but the winner is, I'm going to pronounce this wrong probably, it's Noah DeBias wins the Gold Pass. It includes four pairs of tickets to the festival as well as complete membership packages, the ability to book before anybody else and a whole lot more $100 value. So congratulations, Noah Tobias. That means that tickets are on sale. You can get your pass yourself and get orders to your tickets early before they go on to the general public. And I tell you, some of these shows go fast. You want to get in there early. Just go to nymf.org for all that information and get your passes. It's going to be a great festival, and you're going to be hearing all about it in the upcoming weeks. Now for some announcements. Uh, starting today, Broadway's Hairspray marked its fifth anniversary at the Neil Simon Theater, and the star-filled party celebrating the milestone will be held after tonight, August 16th's performance. Also, starting uh, yesterday, the Williamstown Theater Festival's production of The Autumn Garden, starring Emmy Award winner Allison Janney, begins performances. Janney co-stars with Tony Award winners Elizabeth Franz and Marianne Plunkett, as well as Jessica Hecht, John Benjamin Hinckley, and Mamie Gummer, as well as Rufus Collins, Brian Kerwin, Cynthia Mace, Rama C. Marshall, Eric Murdoch, and Brooke Parks. Also starting yesterday, playgoers seeking a deal at Playwrights Horizons can put their names in a lottery list for a chance at $5 tickets, and there will be no more waiting in line for Playwrights Horizons ticket discount on the first day of previews. Also, for any of you New Yorkers who got a lot of personal confidence and the ability to get out and talk to people and like to get involved, I really need some help here in uh, terms of like hunting down some sponsors for the show. We got a great base, and I'm just uh, floored with the time. I've been doing a lot of recording, and I just don't have that time to pursue this, so I can definitely work out a deal with anybody who's interested in getting involved and trying to find us some sponsors on the program. Give me a buzz at 646-345-3433 or mail info at broadwaybullet.com if you're interested in finding out a little bit more. Please, 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 I could really use your help and, you know, put a commission in on it. You know, you'll make a little bit out of it, too. All right, let's jump right back into the program. 
on the boards. Well, New Yorkers may wonder what the fuss is, but anywhere else in the country, we all know the long-reaching hand of Walmart. And a hit at the fringe last year, Walmartopia is now headed for a commercial run off-Broadway. And we have the composer-lyricist Andrew Roan here with us. How you doing? Great. And uh, the book writer, Catherine Capillaro. How are yeah, you? Just fine. Hello. <laughs> So, uh, first off, I guess, start off with telling us a little bit about what Walmartopia is about. Well, Walmartopia is a futuristic science fiction tale based in realities at the world's largest corporation, but without a whole lot of artistic license. <laughs> so, a little, little bit more about that. What, what... Sure. Why don't you tell them a little bit about the story? Okay. Um, yeah, the protagonist is a single mom, Vicky, who is working to get ahead at Walmart, you know, believes in the company, um, but we see her getting more and more disillusioned. Uh, and then, uh, and her, her daughter is, is present also, also works at Walmart. And, um, and then the kind of crazy science fiction element enters and uh, she is, uh, what's the word, jettisoned 30 years in the future where Walmart now runs everything. Um, and she kind of battles against them and uh, finds allies in the future and uh, yeah, does battle to, to carve out a little sort of creative independent space away from the, the domination of Walmart. So is this, a, is this something Walmart's going to be wanting to sponsor? I, I would say um, probably not. I don't think they're real interested in uh, communicating with us, or at least so far. Well, you know, obviously, kind of begs the question: is what what inspired you? What 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 brought this idea for a show into your heads? And sure. Um, well, we like writing musicals about workers. Our, our other full-length show is called Temp Slave, and it was based a lot on our realities of working as temps in San Francisco and here in New York and back in Wisconsin. And um, at the time that we wrote Temp Slave, um, Manpower Inc. was the largest employer in the country. Um, now there's no competition. Walmart is by far the biggest employer. So, um, so there's that. We sort of like to take a look at where are most people working and what's the, what's the quintessential experience for an American worker. Um, Walmart is being sued by 1.6, at least 1.6 million women right now as part of a class action lawsuit um, showing that, that women are getting fewer promotions and having a much harder time getting ahead than men at the company. So as a journalist, I was intrigued by these stories and then many other stories that started to come out about the way that Walmart was treating its workers. Um, and as storytellers, we were intrigued by the idea of trying to get inside um, the minds of people who are working at Walmart and what kind of experiences they're having in the present. And then also taking a look at um, using our imaginations to say, if we follow the trajectory of this corporation gobbling up real estate and workers and producers at the rate that they have been, that there wouldn't be anything but Walmart in 30 years. And so what would that look like and, and what kind of story would that bring out? Now, so you brought in a list of some of the most uh, agrarious business practices of, of Walmart, uh, and I'm wondering if there's anything in particular here that stands out to you that you want to <laughs> kind of bring up on the thing. Well, I mean, w one of the facts that Catherine really picked up on that inspired her early on was that um, they uh, of locking workers in at night, like janitors, um, and uh, and and then actually doctoring 
you know, they'd work 12-hour shifts and they'd doctor their time cards. So it just said uh, eight, eight hours. Um, and this is widely um, talked about that uh, there's such a pressure to meet the numbers that managers will do all kinds of crazy illegal things to meet the numbers. Um, you know, just shortchanging their workers out of pay, you know, forcing them to work through breaks and uh, stuff like that. There's been people who have been injured on the job and then been unable to get medical care because they're stuck inside this giant store world that doesn't allow them to escape. So it really, it does, I mean, it feels science fiction-y when you read about some of this stuff. Um, and I, I think it's, it's worth looking at that this, this corporation that is successful according to the capitalist business model is the place where people are making an average of $2 less than in any other retail field, and they have pretty crappy benefits, and many of them are on public assistance to try to get by. And uh, so there's low prices is what, they, what they're singing about, and, and we're saying, well, so what are the, what, how do you get those low prices? There's a cost to it, and that's, um, and that's what we're trying to look at in a really fun musical way in our show. <laughs> That's what I love about theater is, you know, it's it's a multi, you learn so much about many different aspects of, you know, history, culture, the world, and, and things going on that I find studying theater is, oh, is an insight into so many different things. Um, before we continue a little bit further, I understand you brought a demo of one of your songs from uh, the last year's production at the Fringe? Right. This is the song Walmartopia. Uh, which starts the second act. This is when they find themselves in the future. This is the first thing uh, they see, which is all these happy citizens in Walmart uniforms um, doing a, a dance and uh, sort of singing the praises of Walmart. And I should say this is quite different from what we've arranged now. This is sort of last year's version of the song, but I think it gives you a, a hint of uh, the scarier side of the show.
Now, many of our listeners are outside of New York, and, and they're going, of course, you know, you know, they've heard about a lot of these things of Walmart. They shop at Walmart. But in New York City, we have no Walmarts. And I, I think this brings around, I'm wondering if there's been some interesting discussions. You know, this is obviously a show that can resonate a lot with, with the heartland and around the U.S., but first got to sell it here in New York City. Yeah. And what have the challenges been? Have you, have you found it hard to get people to care, or do people still know, or... What has been the biggest thing about promoting this show in a metropolitan market that is one of the very few that is actually devoid of a Walmart? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I, I think we're we're in a similar position. We came from Madison, Wisconsin, where there's this lovely core of old homes and local businesses and a university and a thriving community arts scene surrounded by a band of uh, a cancerous sprawl that's <laughs> begun by Walmart and then and then other other big boxes move in and that part of the country is growing and i think that sometimes people in our community feel like they're immune from Walmart when it's only 4 miles away when that's the reality of where people are shopping and working and so i think new york has maybe a similar thing but new yorkers are smart they understand that this is you know, this is Walmart is a force to be reckoned with. First of all, they're going to come here. We feel safe at the moment, but they're looking at the Bronx, they're looking at Brooklyn, they're looking at Queens. Um, it might be a while before they get into Manhattan, but they are coming, and I can guarantee that Walmart wants to be everywhere, and they're looking for a way in. And you know, ask people in Chicago who who felt like they weren't going to get Walmart, and and they're in pitched battles in in other urban areas now. Um, it's just too lucrative to think about all these consumers that aren't buying Walmart goods. So, so number one, they're coming. And number two, the show is about um, much bigger issues, too. It's about corporate control of our, of our minds and our communities and, and the survival of small businesses and, and really creativity. Because when it, when it really comes down to it, the issues that we're trying to look at um, in the second act have to do with these artists that are in a world where there's no expression outside of what the corporate slash government controlled line is. And the people who step out of that are harshly readjusted. And we live in a world now where media consolidation and, um, you know, that, that fewer and fewer companies are controlling the messages that get out there and Rupert Murdoch's and Fox and, and the war and there's all these connections. Um, and we wanted to take a look at that and say, how, you know, what what kind of what kind of world do we want to live in? And let's let's take a look at what our future could be. Now, I sense a little bit of irony here in the in the whole situation in in the past year, where so many people have claimed that off Broadway just can't compete on the musical commercial front anymore, other than being maybe an incubator to try to bring something to Broadway. But a lot of people are kind of writing off off Broadway's ability to be a profitable and creative artistic venture on its own which seems to kind of very much also (laughs) echo what's going on in the show and uh, so getting into talking about the production a little bit what's what's the cast what's the cast like how big is this production i know we got some get some great people involved daniel goldstein's directing the show who Mm -hmm. was on our directorial panel um on our season finale and uh in december and wendy sabe is choreographing and she Mm -hmm. was uh here talking with school days last year during nymph right and um so, so what's a little bit about the production itself and what have been the challenges getting it to work for a commercial off-Broadway run? Uh, well, it's, it's a big show. For off-Broadway, it's very big. Um, and we are just overjoyed with everyone that we've got it's on the team. It's a cast of 11 and a band of five. Five. And a huge crew. Yeah. 
Um, and I mean, we were, I mean, we basically got our first choice in everyone. Um, so it's going to be a beautiful production. Um, uh, yeah, you go ahead. Okay. Well, I'm not. I'm not going to go so far as to say that Broadway is a big box, but I will say that that we come from a background of community theater, of mom and pop theater. Me being mom, him being pop, where we produced, directed, starred in our own shows, and did everything sort of do it yourself. Brought in people, some of whom who had very little experience, some with more experience, and put together shows. And that's the roots of Walmartopia. I mean, Walmartopia grew up in Madison, Wisconsin. Um, sort of not quite off the cuff, but the thing grew up with our cast and with our crew and with input from our friends and in our living room. And now it's, and now it's getting an off-Broadway production. And we, I mean, I think New York and the world needs off-Broadway the same way that needs off-off-Broadway and the same, I mean, the arts need all of these all, they need all of these levels to succeed. And I think that there's, that there's something wrong about the fact that people talk about off-Broadway dying. I hope we can have, you know... I think us- most of my listeners understand I feel very very much the same. I think, you know, I don't think every musical belongs on Broadway and God. I don't want to. I want some of the, the quirkierness. I want some of the different stories that don't translate to a 2,000-seat house. Right, the risk-taking mm-hmm. and the intimacy. And that's what we really... I mean, that's what really we really wanted. We want people to feel like they're in this experience, and I'm not sure how to do that um, in a 2,000-seat house, and it's not what we're all that interested in doing at the moment. So um, so let's keep shopping at Off-Broadway. <laughs> <laughs> so what have been some of the biggest changes you've been working on in the past year since uh, it was a hit at the Fringe? Well, um, the character of uh, Vicky's daughter, Maya, uh, Maya was, uh, she was just in one scene. Um, last year, and Danny and we really came to the belief that she should be throughout, that she was a fun character, and um, that the relationship between the mother and daughter was really important. So she's in the whole show now, and she goes to the future with her mom. I think that helps. um, It helps do a lot of things for the show. It adds an emotional weight that I'm I'm not saying that it was missing, because I think that um, our Fringe show was very successful for a lot of reasons, and it touched a lot of nerves. But now we have, at the core of the show, a mother and daughter relationship, and they're sort of going through these really intense experiences together. And they're not always at odds. The the, the daughter, because she's more youthful and more radical, has um, more capacity for risk-taking than the mother, who has been kind of beaten down by her experiences of working at Walmart. And um, and is scared at times, and justifiably so, um, by the circumstances. But it brings out a lot of color to take a look at that relationship. Um, and also, we really wanted to take a deeper look and try to really think about this future thing, which is a, a hard task to do. We don't know really what the future will look like in 30 years. And it's kind of scary to think about a Walmart-controlled world. Um, but we tried to do it a little more and really... Um, think about what what are the consequences of stepping outside of Walmart's um, prescribed boundaries. Have you heard anything from any representatives at Walmart yet? No. (laughs) (laughs) No. They're, uh, you know, they hope we will dry up and fly away like their competition, I think. But uh, no, not yet. (laughs) Although they, you know, they they did a musical of their own, which I think is a really fun fact about Walmart. um, And this is... 
you know, after after some versions of Walmartopia, then all of a sudden, you know, I looked at the New York Times business section and it said that Walmart had put together a musical using Broadway actors. The curtain went up at 7 a.m. and it was called Walmart the Musical. It was for their shareholders meeting and it was, uh, you know, a tale of disgruntled workers coming around to see the truth about Walmart. Which is that it's great. Which is that it's great. <laughs> of course. Right. So Andrew added a song in response to that. Yeah, a sort of like, you know, uh, Walmart really does care about women in response to the, um, you know, the class action, the sex discrimination suit. Um, yeah, just what would they write if they wanted to put out there that Walmart loves women? It's called A Woman's Places at Walmart. <laughs> so now when does the show open? It opens on Labor Day, September 3rd, at the Mineta Lane. And uh, how do they get tickets? Um, Ticketmaster.com or, or, or go to the Mineta Lane box office or our website, www.walmartopia.com. can get you any of those places. All right. Well, I wish you luck as this gets going on, and I hope the show you know, is in for a long run. And uh, if it indeed is after we get done with Nymph, I'd love if, if you maybe bring in a couple of the actors and perform a couple of the songs in studio for our listeners. That would be great. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much, uh, Walmartopia and Andrew Roan and Catherine Capillaro. Thanks so much for stopping by in this very busy time for you, I'm sure. Thanks for having <laughs> Thanks us. Thanks a lot. On the boards. The York Theatre Company specializes in putting on original musicals and even some classical ones at times and even some different sort of offerings like this show, which is kind of a song cycle musical cabaret performance starring Lorinda Lissitza, who is here with us in the studio to chat about it. How are you doing? Oh, pretty good. Nice to be here. <laughs> so the show's called Triumphant Baby. It's a song cycle, as you said, featuring the songs of... Uh, Joe Connis and Robert Maddock? Yes, they're they're kind of new on the scene, but they're rapidly jumping up the charts. I don't know, I don't think there are charts, but yeah, they're getting to be really well known. They um, they graduated out of the Masters Graduate Theater Writer Program at NYU a couple of years ago, and uh, since then, they've won the Daryl Roth Award, and they've both won Jonathan Larson Awards, and Joe's won the Kleban Award, so they're they're doing really well. So how did yes. you get involved with the show and putting it together? Well, I, I actually went, sometimes go to NYU in the spring, and I work on new musicals that the writers are, are putting out. First year, they do 20-minute musicals. Second year, their thesis is a full-length musical. So I worked on Robert's first year, and then Joe and Robert's second-year production, which is called Plastic. And that's how we met, and we've just been friends ever since. We support each other, go to each other's shows, and, and then we kind of created this together. Now, I understand this kind of started off in a cabaret setting. Yeah, because I produced it myself, and I work at the Metropolitan Room. Um, I've been working, that's my survival job, slinging drinks in the cabaret clubs around the city. So it was a, a really good way for me to be able to get the show out there for the public and to get people in and be able to see it. Uh, so, of course, when I did it in the cabaret rooms, I, I made it more like a cabaret. I talk right to the audience, uh, tell them a little bit more about myself. But we always wanted it to be a song cycle. That's how we envisioned it. So we had that in the back of our head, and we're kind of pushing it in that direction and hoping that a, a theater or somebody from that world would see it and see what we knew it, it could be. And hallelujah, Jim Morgan came along and saw it and asked us to do it at the York. So that was great. 
So was it a lot of work getting him down to check it out? Not at all. That was the best part. He he just came like on our very first night. So it was like, oh, thank you so much for coming. So. So what changes has the show had now that the York's taking it on and you're doing these uh, four presentations of it with York? Well, ultimately we'd like to add three or four more songs. Um, I but we're you know we're using these four performances to kind of see what we want to do and see the direction that we want to take because it's you know being developed mostly by ourselves they're they're giving us immense freedom to to do that so in the next two to like the next couple shows you might see a, a new song um we've taken out like i said the direct talking to the audience and uh just you know have just let the songs do their tell their stories they're all story songs i am not the same person in every song it's not you know like the story of my life by any means because obviously i don't kill people or have boyfriends in prison which i guess we should get into <laughs> what what is there a plot is this what is this about well i always How, say it's a non non-linear song cycle the only thing that that is a connection is that it's all it's me like i i play the different characters and Joe and Robert wrote it. But their songs, uh, Joe wrote the music and Robert wrote the lyrics. And the songs vary from, you know, a disgruntled uh, redneck type character, um, trailer trash, to uh, a lady who pushes down, pushes a woman named Yolanda down the stairs uh, for revenge, to uh, unhappy Hollywood stories, uh, a Tom Hanks stalker, a a woman named Peggy Entwistle, true story, she jumped off the H in the Hollywood sign in 1932 and killed herself. Um, uh, sort of addressing Hollywood bad girls right now. Uh, actually, they wrote a song about So it's kind of like Anna your one-woman musical version of an Eric Bogosian monologue. Kind of, it is, it is. <laughs> you know, just all these, and yet the funny thing is, doing all these kind of tragic songs, but they're actually quite funny. There's not that many sad songs in the actual show. And it sounds, you know, oh, she's singing, she's killing people and this and that. But uh, everybody seems to be smiling. And then there's some kind of real hopefulness about it at the end. It's like, it's okay to, to be a wacko and do all these things. And in the end, you know, it's, it's, all, it's all good. You can all still be triumphant. Triumphant, baby. That's the last song. <laughs> All right, so we're going to play a song from your recording of this. Oh, yeah, great. Um, do you want to set this up? I assume it's another Yes, is it popular story. opinion? Yes. Yes, okay, this is the song, uh, the first song Robert and Joe ever wrote together when they, when they started writing together. And it was originally entitled American Goddess, and it was written for Anna Nicole, or about Anna Nicole Smith. This was two or three years ago, long before she ever, um, you know, passed away. So it is about Anna, Nicole, and uh, but I think it kind of talks about the whole culture right now, pop culture and our fixation with it and how a lot of, you know, the Lindsay Lohans, the Britney Spears of the world. <laughs> that's, that's kind of what it's about. All right, well, let's take a listen. Excellent. In your popular opinion, would I be fun to rile and harpoon? Make fun of me, fun of me, I'm easy to make fun of. Now I've become a national cartoon In your popular opinion Would I be more than victim of the weak? Tune into me, into me Tune out of all that matters Humanity, I think you've sprung a leak Talk, 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 show What does anybody know? Talk less, talk more What are people talking for? See how my underwear rides up my crotch. 
fun of me I'm easy to make fun of I live to be the topic of your talk In your popular opinion Am I a doll for everyone to squeeze? Tune into me, into me Tune out of all that matters America, God shed his grace on these Talk, 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 show What does anybody know? Talk less, talk more What are people talking for? Talk, 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 show Empty-handed overflow Talk big, talk small Why do people talk at all? Talk, 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 show What does anybody know? Talk more, talk less I have something to confess Talk, 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 What's the point of being famous? I might as well go back to sleazy bars Buy into me, into me, I'm easy to buy into America, you're choking on your stars America, you're choking on your stars Now, statement you made twice kind of brings up an interesting question. How many of these songs were like trunk songs for the writers, and how much did they end up shaping just for you? Um, actually, I think right, right now, 12, 12 of them were trunk songs, um, but not all of them had the music written for them yet. So they were the lyrics that we chose. One they wrote specifically for me. It's called One Step Closer to Crazy, <laughs> which I'm like, thanks, guys. Um, and then there's another one that we're going to add called Eddie Got a Color TV. And I think, I, I don't know if after meeting me, they kind of know more what they, what they want to do or, or that sort of thing. But mostly they're, they're trunk songs, but I just seem to have an affinity for their, for their work and their music. And um, not only this project, but I'm in two or three of their other projects as well. We just really get, get along and we love working together. Yeah, it's great when you get that relationship when you yeah. get work. Yeah, we have so them. much fun rehearsing. I mean, sometimes we want our rehearsals to be like four or five months. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so tell us about how you can catch Triumphant Baby. Oh, it's the next, it's, it's Monday nights at the York Theater. The next show is the 20th at 8 o'clock, then the 27th at 8 o'clock. We're skipping Labor Day because that's, you know, people are out of the city, and we're back on the 10th of September. All shows at 8 o'clock, and you can check out the York's website or just um, call their their box office number or just show up and get a ticket that night. They're only $20. <laughs> you don't have to buy a drink. <laughs> All right. Uh, any but I encourage you to be drunk if for, you come because it's... <laughs> for those people who aren't in town this month or whatever, is there, do you think there's a chance of this coming back? In another current we're hopeful. Nation? I mean, we're, we're going to see how it's how people respond. And so far, you know, I was our first show, I was like, oh, I'm... Is it going to be three people? And we had over 70 people show up. So, um, And people seem to love it, and they are all said they're going to tell their friends and get people in. So we're hoping it's going to grow over the next next four weeks. All right. Well, Lorinda Lissitza, <laughs> I thank you so much for coming in and talking about Triumphant Baby. And oh, thank you. Page Turners. Hey, this is John Delamar from Broadway Bullet, and today I'm reviewing Let's Put On a Show by Stuart F. Lane by Hanneman Drama. All right, so class is in session. Your teacher, he's a three-time Tony Award-winning producer, Stuart F. Lane. The subject, 
how to put on a show. Whether it's Broadway, Off-Broadway, Regional Theater, or just the local community theater, Stuart F. Lane illustrates what it takes to make a show a hit in his new book, Let's Put on a Show. Lane hails from an illustrious background in theater. He has the awards to prove it. But it's not the author's bio that interested me. It's the insight he has on the working theater community. In this book, which can be added to the ongoing list of self-help dummy series under the title Theatrical Producing for Dummies, Lane offers do's and don'ts of all kinds of productions. He holds the reader's hand as they talk about first deciding what kind of show, then guiding them through the ins and outs of what it takes to mount the sucker. What makes this book any different from any other books on producing theater you want to know? Well, it's Lane's Tales from the Trenches, as he calls them, that preface each chapter that sets this book apart. Lane welcomes the reader into each section of the book by giving them a real-life story of his that reflects the lesson to be learned in the chapter ahead. These might have been a little more insightful had they come at the end of the lesson. But still, they offer a glimpse of what it's really like to work in the living, breathing, and paying theater community. And these tales with the easy voice Lane uses and what you have is a relevant book, written as if by a mentoring theater director as opposed to a man about theater. Reading this book soon after graduating with a bachelor's degree in theater, it was refreshing. It was everything I learned in a semester's worth of college and theater production in just 140 short pages. Wouldn't my mom and dad be happy? It's a book that doesn't take long to read and will set you up on the right path to getting your production together. It is not the Bible of theater production, though. It's merely a guideline. If you're seriously thinking of taking on a production on the regional or community level, use this book in conjunction with other texts of the same nature. You won't find everything you need to know about the producing side of theater here, but enough to get the ball rolling. Now, that being said, it is user-friendly with diagrams and prop lists and schedules and even a press release from Lane's own show, In the Wings. As I said, it's a nice start for any theater novice. Now, the text of the book can get just a little tricky to read with editing mistakes every few pages. There are several passages I had to reread due to duplicate words or words used out of tense. These can only be seen as editorial or pressing mistakes, and I'm sure on future pressings of the book will be amended. Also, the book kind of ends abruptly with a final chapter on playwriting. Well, it's a facet of theater that I feel is extremely important for any producer to understand and respect. How many times have you heard stories of producers meddling in the script of a show and causing problems? But there doesn't seem to be any closure. What happens if your show's a success? What about cast changes? How long is too long to run? These are questions I felt myself asking at the end of the book. Aside from these few faults, the book is an essential tool to be found in any theater library. If you're running a regional or community or educational theater, this book needs to be in your office. And yes, even a few of those seasoned theater veterans could use Lane's informative and sometimes witty book as a brief refresher on duties and responsibilities. What Stuart F. Lane has done is akin to being asked into your mother's kitchen to be shown her secret recipe for making bread. It looks so hard watching it, but when you know her secrets and the curtain is pulled back on the mystery, you start thinking, hey, I could do that. This is John Delamar from Broadway Bullet. On the boards. All right. Ryan Davis is back. We can't keep him away. Uh, this time he's producing a show at the Fringe called Animals, which is written and starring Ryan O'Neill, who is also here with us. How you doing? Onan. Oh, Ryan Onan. Yes. Co- Okay. Your handwriting. Your I think handwriting I, I think I was named better. after Ryan O'Neill, so it's pretty close. Ryan Onan. Common occurrence. <laughs> Since kindergarten. 
The two Ryans are here with you today. Yeah, Ryan squared. How, how many times Ryan won? Is this for you on the show? I, it's, just, it's like seven times. I should have like a little weekly bit, you know, Ryan's Corner or something. Yeah, for all you <laughs> listeners who are looking to get into theater production, since he started coming on the show, Ryan has like wasted down to like ten pounds. <laughs> oh, thank you. You are a really thin, man. Thank you. So, Ryan O'Nan, I understand that this animals is a Rutgers project. Yeah, it <laughs> yeah, it was a homework assignment. No, it's a yeah. The three um, actors in it. It's a three-person cast, and we're all from the same graduating class at Rutgers. Um, so we have this tight-knit bond, which is which is real special and really really amazing for us. I, I think. Um, and then Kevin, also the, the director, is one of the the main directors slash acting teachers at Rutgers. So it's just the process beca- became so easy because of that. So are rehearsals very productive when all four of you know each other so well? Definitely, I think so. I think I think you don't have to you don't have to worry about um, kind of the getting to know each other and kind of <laughs> I don't know all the all the stuff that comes with like barriers that when you're not quite familiar with each other's work. So what uh what's the show about? This animals. <laughs> I, I, it's it's weird. I I tend to call it I guess a existential comedy for lack of a better word just because each scene those are riots I know right <laughs> sounds so funny finally finally <laughs> <laughs> finally it arrived but uh, no it's, 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 a, it's about humans comparing themselves to animals and then real quickly it switches over to like animals comparing themselves to, to humans and in this real fun funny ways but it's, it's basically everybody's kind of asking this question essentially like what am I doing here what the, why the heck am I stuck in this the same spot and uh, and though essentially kind of people fail along the way, it's kind of what makes us human and essentially animals and essentially just beings is our failures, I guess. So you're working at Shoppings to Pixar? Yeah, basically. <laughs> <laughs> I just idea. I just saw, saw Ratatouille last night. That movie was sick. <laughs> I always grew up, I think because of just growing up and watching Disney stuff and stuff like that, and like my mom always had this real sense of like she would put voices to like all animals and like any inanimate object or anything like that. She made a little bed for a raisin she found under a counter one time. It was ridiculous. So that bled in, I think. <laughs> so Ryan, what the... So <laughs> Ryan Davis, uh, what drew you to this show as a producer? for the? Well, I'm always looking uh, for cool young writers, and I, I met Michael, uh, the actor on the show. And, is he cool? And, and he, really? It, it, he is pretty cool, actually. <laughs> okay. You know, he's hip, as they would say in, in the trades. And and so when I, I read it, I thought it was uh, really funny, and I wanted to help them uh, get it out there uh, to to the city, to the fringe. You know, the fringe is like crazy atmosphere. It's like seven thousand shows in twenty four hours. It's something like that. And <laughs> so it, it's hard sometimes. You know, it's you don't want to get lost in the shuffle. So it's been great to work on this project. Ryan's been amazing. Like the stuff. No, really. I mean, <laughs> he's he's jumped in there. He's been such a force for us. I feel very lucky. So, what have been the biggest challenges with the the fringe performances? <laughs> I think it's it's always money, right? Like, yeah, where, where, money, where are you getting money? I mean, we're in New York City. We're, you know, we're not we're not living in in New Brunswick where Rutgers <laughs> is, where you have free rehearsal space. You have to rent rehearsal space and just uh, coordinate everybody's schedules. Everybody's trying to be a blossoming actor and like an artist. And the great so. thing about the Fringe is that you know we we could have rehearsals from like you know midnight to three in the morning. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like under the bridge in Astoria. <laughs> you know, whenever it's free. I think we did that. That's... <laughs> Is that the term the three of you all use, that you're trying to be blossoming actors? Yeah, it, does say that, it says the Blossom Company, yeah. It's re- represented by the Blossom Company, which... 
<laughs> it's actually a character from something else I wrote, but this is a nutty character that it's I just found a reference to Blossom. Yeah, yeah, no, not Another the show. TV show? That's no. exciting. <laughs> it's this character Butch Blossom from the screenplay that that I've written recently. That's kind of in the midst of being produced or whatever. But um, yeah, he's this bizarre character, and I just figured if he was going to write a play, he'd write something like this. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I always, in my experience when I used to do this thing, I always found it maddening to act and write at the same time because I found myself thinking more about what the other people were doing than what I should be doing. Dude, it is, it, it, <laughs> that's exactly what it is. Like, yeah, I, uh, I, I mean, it, it's very fun because because writing for Michael specifically, I mean, he's, he's a genius. I mean, Aaron's incredible as well, but just... Uh, yeah, it's it's hard to. Aaron's just incredible. The other guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Aaron's incredible. Michael's a freaking genius. <laughs> no, no, Aaron's amazing. Um, everybody plays all these different characters and just totally inhabits them. But yeah, writing and acting is is super tough, especially when like somebody does something really good, and you're just like, just for a second, you're obviously like, wow, okay, I, I wrote that, but like that guy really delivered that. He brought that to life and. And then all of a sudden you're like, wait a minute, I'm supposed to be in the scene. This is ridiculous. So who are some of your inspirations as playwrights? Oh, I've always... Uh, I mean, I, I love uh, David Ives. It's very David Ives-esque, I think. Um, oh, God, I love David Ives. Oh, me too, you know, man. Putting out a word. If anybody knows David Ives, I want to talk to him here. <laughs> <laughs> I want to talk to him in the universal language. I think... Um, my my absolute favorite um, playwright ever is uh, Peter Schaffer. Like I just I adore adore his stuff. Like Equus, Amadeus, um, Royal Hunt of the Sun. All these kind of big ideas, kind of put into David Ives' stuff. Which David Ives always had those kind of big ideas anyway. Like he was always like throwing stuff at you, like under kind of slipping it under. He'd open you up with laughter and then throw in these um, these points, which I always loved. So I think I I kind of uh, gather that from those two authors together. So now, what are the existential points with the animals? <laughs> Why are we here? Yeah. I think, that, yeah, that's a, that's a big question. Um, and it, it, it doesn't, it tackles it in, in a weird way. Like, for example, the second act what, opens... What existential doesn't tackle things in a weird I way? I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> we actually have the answer on animals. For $15, you get the answer <laughs> to everything. Yeah, exactly. Come and you will, you will be enlightened. But like, like for example, there's a little, there's a little take on the, um, the creation story, but... It, and I actually, this is actually a real story that my uncle told me. He believed this when I was a kid, but that aliens had come down and mated with monkeys, and that's why humans are the way we are, and that's why uh, you know we can build spaceships and computers, and what separates us so much is that that's why there's no missing link, right? And so I just decided, oh, wait. like... I, now I know why you're wearing the tinfoil hat. <laughs> I, I thought that was just self-explanatory. <laughs> It's cool. <laughs> Thank you. I, um, Your uncle was kind of a Scientologist, I guess. Yeah. You know, what? and I just recently kind of learned like where science Scientologists, um, like that. That's kind of the somebody told me what, what that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I was like, oh my god, that's most be what my uncle was, and I had no idea. I was like two, and I was like, why are you telling me this? <laughs> <laughs> so Ryan, no Nan, you're like thrown into the middle of this like shorthand dialogue that's <laughs> starting to happen now. So, um, okay, so when is Animals playing? When can people catch the show? Um, it's, it's playing, I mean, the Fringe is running until the 25th. We have shows um, on the, the 19th, the 20th, the 22nd, and the 24th as well. Um, you can find us on MySpace. 
You can, of which course. is a great thing to What's do. What's that address? It's uh, going to be linked on the uh, posting of this <laughs> 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 by the brilliant people in front of me. <laughs> so you can find that on our show notes. <laughs> <laughs> and as a short aside, I understand people should be watching for the second episode of Breaking In, too. Absolutely, absolutely. We're going to uh, premiere in early September, and it's going to be online, and we're going to have another big free premiere that everybody should come out to. Uh, so check it out, breakinginblog.com. Uh, we're going to be doing a lot of NIM stuff, so we might not get a specific date, but we will get that up on the front page absolutely. of the website. Absolutely. Thank you, you so much. You, you guys are great. We're gonna, we have to do that episode where like one of the characters comes and yes. does a spot on the show. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely have to do that. Very postmodern. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So Ryan Onan and <laughs> Ryan Davis, thank you so much for coming down, and uh, I wish you the so best much. of luck with animals. <laughs> Thanks so much. Thanks nice a lot, man. Well, that was fitting that Ryan Davis should be back on our one-year anniversary episode because he was the very first to appear on our very first episode when he was talking about his musical White Noise with the New York Musical Theater Festival. Top of the trades. Carol Shelley, who created the role of Madame Morrible in the Broadway production of Wicked, will return to the New York cast on August 28th. Additional casting has been announced for the Williamstown Theatre Festival's staged reading of Our Town, starring Raul Esparza. Joining Esparza for the August 17th reading of Thornton Wilder's Pulitzer Prize-winning play about small-town American life will be John Felch, Micah Hogan, Peter Davenport, Ellen McLaughlin, Brennan Will, Joe Plummer, Brooke Parks, Tommy Hellinger, Laura Heisler, ah, we've had her on the show a couple times, Ryan Carells, Mark Blum, Kate Roberts, Rama Marshall, Grace McLean, Steve Lawson, Sarah Turner, Jim DeProfitus, and David Kenner. The free staged reading of Our Town. Yeah, it's free. Rallo Spar's a fan. you got to get down there. It's going to take place, oh, quick, on August 17th at 3 p.m. For further information, visit www.wtfestival.org. Mike Nichols, the Tony-winning director of Monty Python Spamalot, will direct a Broadway revival of The Country Girl and the Broadway bow of Farragut North, according to the New York Post. The New York Daily says that Clifford Odette's Country Girl will likely star two Academy Award winners, Morgan Freeman as the alcoholic actor Frank Elgin and Frances McDormand as Elgin's wife Georgie. Bill Haber will produce Country Girl, which the Post says will open on Broadway in spring 2008. Due to tremendous public response, the South African production of Disney's The Lion King has extended its run by several months. The musical, which opened June 6th at Johannesburg's 1,850-seat Montecasso Teatro, had originally planned on an October 7th closing. The Tony-winning musical will now run through December 2nd. Jacobson Entertainment, in association with Lionsgate and Magic Hour Productions, has announced the U.S. premiere of the international stage hit Dirty Dancing, the classic story on stage by Eleanor Bergstein, writer of the iconic blockbuster movie. Mm-hmm. The national tour will premiere September 2nd, 2008 at Chicago's Cadillac Palace Theater. Casting additional tour dates and ticket information will be announced at a later date. The acclaimed creative team responsible for the record-breaking London production of Dirty Dancing will bring the show to the United States. Directed by James Powell with choreography by Kate Champion, the team also includes a bunch of other people. You can check out our website to find out who they are. <laughs> Top of the Trades is brought to you by BroadwayWorld.com. Check out BroadwayWorld.com for all the breaking theater news and for some great social interaction with other theater people. Curtain call. Well, it was a short run, but uh, Idol the Musical closed after its one official performance after a month or so of previews. Uh, they came performing on the show, and uh, too bad they weren't able to stay with us. One more time, I'll say happy birthday to us. It was exactly a year ago today that we launched our very first episode. My, how time flies. Can't even believe it. 
Also, I know we kind of hinted, promised that Anthony Rapp was going to be on the show, but uh, it kind of fell through at the moment. But we are hoping to still get a chance to talk with both Adam Pascal and Anthony Rapp, and if so, we will do that as a very special podcast. So cross your fingers, we are right here. Well, next week begins eight weeks of extensive, exclusive New York musical theater coverage. You're going to hear interviews and songs from the creators and the actors, and don't think that means you're going to get no names. There are, you know, some big names taking part in the show, too, so they might stop by and chat. It's going to be a lot of music and a lot of fun, and I definitely recommend you go to nymf.org to get your tickets to the event. You're going to be hearing all about it, and you're going to be frustrated that you didn't weren't able to get tickets because they're sold out. Ah! Go out and get them. All right, until next week, I'm your host, Michael Gilbo, and thanks for hopping on board the Broadway Bullet. Actually, the barfait thing comes from my whole life. People just going vulture, boggler. So it didn't take much, though, when he um, proposed. I said yes. It's fun to know that those lines will stay in the show when other actors do it in the future. The hairs went up on the back of my neck. It was a thrilling moment. with the audience and explore them a little bit. So, a little more about our brand new theater and business arts major. I know what most theater programs are like, and I've talked to thousands of artists. All of this told me that a new style of theater major was needed. Theater majors can get a pretty good arts education just about anywhere, but most programs do very little to prepare actors, directors, playwrights, technicians, producers, etc. to manage their careers. When you go into the arts, you are your own business, and you need to manage that to strategically plan for your career to grow. If you've listened to many of these interviews, you know you need to be self-starters to create your own opportunities. I'm going to make sure you are ready for that world. You'll get a ton of opportunities as an undergraduate. Actors will act, even as freshmen. Designers will design shows right away. Playwrights will see their shows mounted. Directors will direct. Producers will handle shows from inception to execution. Outstanding guest artists will conduct workshops, and outstanding students will even work on this podcast and travel to New York with me for interview weeks. And if that isn't enough, we've got an amazing program that will pay all or part of your student loan payments, even private loans if you are earning less than $40,000 six months after graduation. That is an invaluable option that lets you pursue your passion in theater with less financial pressure. If interested, and I hope you are, go to broadwaybullet.com. I'd love to help you launch your career.